Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I'm delighted to have with me today as my guest, Todd Holzman. Todd, welcome to my show. Hi, Meredith. Thank you very much. Well, I'm particularly excited about interviewing Todd because he's um, an expert in two of my favorite subjects. Todd is the uh, CEO and founder of Holzman and Company, and he specializes in two areas because he's been studying them for, I guess, close to 30 years. One of them is sales uh, development and sales success. The other is leadership development. And over the years, Todd, I think you told me you have worked with um, and developed 25,000 leaders and salespeople. Yeah. And uh, Todd is... It's been exhausting. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> And well, Todd is not doing that all by himself. He has a 13 person global faculty that consults with clients as well. And they work with some of the top comp- companies in the world uh, in the Fortune 100 and Global 1000. And of course, over the years, he's learned a lot about sales psychology. Um, as well as uh, leaders and the things that they struggle with and what it takes to make them successful. And what I love about being able to talk to you today, Todd, is you have walked in the shoes of both of those areas yourself, in addition to working with other people to help them improve in those areas. And my audience is very interested also. Many of them work with leadership development and they, some of them struggle with this whole area of sales. They love providing their services, but they're not always as comfortable marketing and selling themselves. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to the information you're going to be sharing with us today. To set the context, I'd like you to explain a little bit about your own journey from working in corporations like IBM and Honeywell to having your own company. Okay. Um, well, I guess, first of all, uh, the success certainly didn't come overnight, you know? Um, and, I, and I really relate to um, just how hard it is as an external consultant to kind of, I don't know, market and, and sell oneself. I mean, most of us, we, we don't get into this work because we want to do anything you know, a lot of us remotely associated with selling, right? Where there's some work that we like to do. We want to be able to do it for people. Um, we feel passionate about it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, you know, and we try to use our networks to generate new clients and all that. So I can, I can relate to the difficulty and the anxiety around all of that. Um, it's something I've, I, I think I've learned how to do well. Um, but it, it definitely started off as a struggle. So my, let me see, one of the companies that I helped launch, um, back now 18 years ago. Um, so I've been, I've been external for 
25 years off and on. Uh, so I've had a couple of other roles in between, as you alluded to, at IBM and Honeywell, McKinsey, et cetera. Um, taught at Harvard and Columbia as an adjunct and guest lecturer, all that. Um, but the, where I decided to kind of really say, okay, this is something I'm going to do, um, was 18 years ago. And the first year, I would say it was just pure hell. Uh, you, you know, you have something that you want to give to the world and you know it can make a huge difference to them and nobody cares, you know, and literally, I mean, I was sending hundreds of emails, uh, probably more like thousands, making phone calls to people when we actually still called people, you know, cold calls to people every day and with, um, you know, very little success actually originally. Um, then um, I had a breakthrough um, on kind of one call with a, with a prospect um, that really, sh I think, showed me um, who I needed to be and, and how I needed to interact with these kind of sales opportunities that would really make a difference. Um, would it be helpful for me to talk a little bit about oh, that? Oh, please do. Yes, examples are always great. So tell us uh, as much as you can about what happened that was transformative for you compared to what you had been experiencing. Yeah, so you, you know, so you just have like a year or so of just abject failure, you know, and and um, you know, and, if, and having a few opportunities to um, to do the work that you love with with some pretty cool clients, but not a lot. Certainly, anxiety about you know, bringing in revenue and new clients and, you know, and all of that. Um, and um, uh, Red Bull North America called me. Um, and, you know, that was like, wow, these guys are really cool. And, uh, and I was talking to their head of training. And, you know, we had a nice conversation. And she was saying, yes, yeah, uh, the stuff that you're saying sounds really interesting. I'd like to explore it a bit more, but we have one problem. Okay, what's that? Her name was uh, Jennifer. And she said, well, my head of HR, is, you know, really wants to do this other thing. I'm like, okay, fine. So what's this? Tell me more about this other thing. And she told me, and the nutshell was she thought it was not going to work. It was just going to be superficial, not create any real change inside the organization. I said, great. So have you told him that? Excuse me? Have you told him just that? No. I said, well, the problem with you not telling him is now you're part of the problem. Uh, and he's going to kind of go along his merry way and make a bad decision unless you intervene and, and, and speak up and step up and tell him the truth from your perspective. Um, now, I don't know whether that seems like a big deal. That's going to sound like a big deal to people kind of listening to this. But imagine, you know, you're sitting in your home office. Uh, eating more pasta every day than you care to imagine because it's cheap. And, and you really want to do this work. Um, most of us would be afraid of being that honest um, because you don't want to screw up the possibility of some opportunity. Um, but I don't know. I think I just kind of got tired of all the games. I got tired of all the, the fake words and the phony smiles and said, I'm just going just gonna to be straight and real with this person. Um, and it really made a difference. Um, so we became their exclusive leadership development um, and 
and also uh, sales training um, provider for four and a half years. Actually beat out Harvard Business School for one big opportunity. Um, and she, and she, you could ask her to this day, she says, well, it was because of that conversation, because you were straight with me, you held me accountable, I learned something from it, and I knew from that, that moment on, I could always trust you. And that, what that told me, I think that what taught me was, I don't know, if you're gonna develop business as an external consultant, you almost have to forget about selling. You know, you've gotta really just think about, so how do I best serve them? And, and so much about serving people is sharing with them your perspective. I mean, being really honest with them about the things that you're seeing. Hopefully it's up to them where they're gonna agree or disagree with you, but we don't serve people by beating around the bush, watering down the issues or avoiding them in the first place. Um, in fact, from the primary value that they get from us is that we're gonna be very open and honest with our perspective. And that kind of authenticity, um, she appreciated it, I think, that's the thing that I've carried with me in all of my interactions with my clients. And now um, my, my global faculty does the same. And they, they find it quite liberating to be able to be more who they really are and to be a lot more authentic with their clients. And, and it also makes them stand out from all the people who are trying to say the right thing so they can get more business or be more pleasing to, to our clients. That's such an excellent point. And I, so thinking about that being such a transformative moment for you, when you had that experience, I imagine you processed it over time to look at how do I want to approach future conversations based on what happened when I did this instead yeah. of the kinds of things you were talking about. So what did that do for you going forward in terms of your, your confidence and I guess your commitment to take a different approach and how did that play out for you? Well, I think the first reaction was, holy crap, it worked. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I think what I, what I want to say is, you know, I guess kind of ironically, um, it's like I already knew this was important to do. I mean, who doesn't believe that we should be honest with our clients? But listen, it's a, it's a great idea in theory until you really feel like there's some risk, like you could lose the deal, you could hurt a relationship, you could damage your credibility, all of that. Um, but the, but I, I kind of felt a moral obligation to be able to behave that way, to prove my ability to behave in that way, because that's the exact thing that I'm trying to do in the world. And then I'm trying to teach my clients to do. I mean, our whole firm is based upon the notion, first of all, that we can't solve any problem that we can't talk about. Um, I don't care. And, and so these conversations with your colleagues, with the people on your team, with your managers, with your customers, they're all vital. And, you know, the reason I got into this field is because it's something that we do badly as a species. When we like agree with each other or the problems are pretty simple, we're, we're good, you know, but anytime we maybe disagree with each other or we feel the conversation has the prospect of being like threatening or embarrassing for the other person and or you, just we handle those conversations badly. We avoid them or when we decide to have them, we're just super judgmental and, and, they, and they don't go well. So, but what I never thought about was doing that in a selling context, you know, cause I had a whole head trip about what it meant to be a salesperson. And then when I, when I, when I started to realize, no, I, I just start consulting to them right now. 
Like, let me just treat them like they're already a client and let me just try to serve them. And part of the way I serve them is being honest with my perspective. When I, when I got off trying to sell, I got on trying to serve that it was like everything changed so that then they were experiencing me as the salesperson, the same way they were experiencing me once they hired me as the consultant, it's one and the same thing. So, um, so I think I'm not directly answering your question. No, but you're bringing, it doesn't, you are, and you're also bringing up to me what is a really important point, because I think a lot of times we can get frozen, intimidated, wrapped up in our fears when we think, oh, I've got to put on my sales hat. And you're making an excellent point there that you don't have to think of it that way. You stopped thinking about yourself as a salesperson Right. We're envisioning yourself as the consultant already working with them. So when you think about what did that do for you in terms of your internal emotions and then also your behavior with the client? I think it gave me a, a lot of confidence. Um, it, and yeah, and a just desire just to keep doing it, <laughs> you know, and and it doesn't mean I, I would stop listening. It doesn't mean I stopped asking questions. It doesn't mean I suddenly started coming across as a blunt jerk. I mean, um, I mean, maybe in some cases, but um, people often think these things are like these big, bold, you know, it's, it's, it's the fourth quarter. There's 20 seconds left on the clock and you're in the one large line. You got to get it across the goal. If it's like that, you're too wound up. It'll never work, you know? So I think with that, I started learning a lot more, started really started developing my skill in terms of the client interactions. I was probably better at teaching them to do it than I was at doing it with them. Um, you know, and, and I started learning the, the art around it. You know, how do you be honest in a way that's still very kind and I think gracious? Um, how do you um, see kind of all facets of the problem? Like, so you may say something to a client that you're critical of them, but before you do that, you better have a lot of empathy for why they're doing what they're doing. You know, so that, because if you're honest and you're just making them wrong, you know, then, you might be right, but they're probably just going to reject it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I like your choice of words there because they're so opposite what a lot of traditional sales training has, has emphasized in terms of taking control of the conversation and, you know, looking for opportunities to close words like kind and gracious really imply a whole different way of being with someone and so let's yeah. talk for a minute about what kinds of questions do you ask when you're coming from a place of being kind, gracious, and empathetic? Well, maybe, you know what? It just occurs to me. Um, maybe I'll give you an example just from yesterday. So I'm, I'm talking to a uh, CHRO, you know, they're all CHROs now, heads of, you know, head of HR for uh, um, kind of a large division of a very large um, uh, European-based consumer goods company. So probably every one of your listeners here probably consumes one of their products, you know, probably nearly every day. Fine. And um, he was, so the problem they have is um, 
run around empowerment so that that people feel like they they can't um they can't express themselves without comp negative consequences inside of the organization and that their ideas won't be kind of uh you know taken seriously so you have this kind of disempowering effect so his his kind of initial thinking was so he had a kind of a, a solution in mind and and basically the solution was um you know, we got to find ways to create a more comfortable environment for employees so they feel more comfortable with expressing themselves. And I just heard what he says. Like, I said, well, that actually might backfire on you and make people feel less empowered, not more empowered. And he's like, well, why do you say that? Now, you can imagine, you feel a little, say, I don't feel so much of an abide anymore around that conversation because I, 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 I know how to handle it. Right, and, and, and I'll, I'll get to answering your question in a second here, but I think the example will uh, be a good illustration of it. Um, and, and he said, well, why is that? I said, well, because by you as management try, having to create the right environment, you're telling them none of this is their responsibility. It's all the responsibility of management to solve their problem for them. I can't imagine something that would be more disempowering. Um, why not teach them how to speak up in a way that people are going to take them seriously? Why not actually empower them by equipping them with the, the ability to express themselves in a highly effective manner so that management does take them seriously? Because it may be the quality of their ideas that's a problem. It may be the way they're expressing themselves. But you guys have already taken the problem on as if it's your problem. And he goes, you know, I never thought of it that way. And I can see how by what we're doing, it can actually, it can make some people happy to feel more comfortable, but can ultimately be disempowering. So what enabled me to say that, right? Like what's the, so first of all, I'm really, I'm listening to what he's saying. And I really am trying to understand what is he trying to accomplish? So before I said that, he was talking to me about it. And I asked him all kinds of questions. I asked him like, what were the survey questions? What did people say about that? What do you think the cause of it all is? So I, I really, there is something to Covey's old, um, I don't know what the word is, truism or recommendation, like ask first, uh, try to understand before trying to be understood, something like that. I'm probably misquoting him. It's like one of the seven habits. Seek first, seek first to understand. Understand before be understood. So there's something really to that. But as I'm listening to him, I'm also intensely like listening to myself. Like, what do I think about what he's saying? And so I'm listening out there to him, but I'm also listening inside. And it's, I almost feel like I'm a, I'm a person in between my own mind and his mind. And then I, I'm starting to think, well, what do I think about what he says? And then once I get clear on that, I just simply say it. <laughs> and I say it, and I usually follow like a three-step process. Um, not all the time, but I'll bet you it's like 89% of the time. It's like, I'll tell them what my point of view is. So I actually think, so in this case, I actually think your very attempt to try to empower people using this particular mechanism is going to disempower them. That was my honest point of view. Then I give them, second step, give them my reasoning. And I say that because, right, because you're essentially telling them it's not their fault. It's your job to take care of them. And there's, and there's, you know, and they're not responsible. 
And then the third step, and that reasoning better be solid. Like it really better back up your point of view. If you just give the point of view, um, it's so easy to reject it. It's so easy to take it personal. But if you could give solid reasoning to back up your point of view, then it becomes more objective. And then they can scrutinize your, your reasoning and your conclusion for themselves. But then you got to ask them, but what do you think about that? So you have to be willing to be wrong, right? You have to be willing to make your own point of view and the reasoning that got you there vulnerable to their scrutiny. And if you can be honest, but, but just as willing to, to receive honesty, if you can be open with people, then it's amazing how reasonable people can be and how their guards get down. And so now as a consequence, I'm going to, and I, and I, so after that, he wants to have a meeting with me, a member of the leadership team and his number two HR person to talk about my solution and to kill this other idea. And none of that would have been possible without being very honest, but doing it in a way where I also made myself confrontable. And, and I'll say one more thing. And I, and I learned the lesson, part of that, I learned that lesson actually from IBM. Um, you know, somebody made a horrible hiring decision and made me um, at age 30 an executive coach to a segment of the top 300 and top 30 executives. At age 30, what business do I have coaching anyone, honestly? But because I worked at McKinsey and I got these Ivy League degrees, I thought I knew something. Uh, and the one thing I did have was this ability to have the honest conversation and equip other people to do the same. I remember talking to a guy running a $15 billion piece of IBM's business. And he had a bunch of other coaches who had worked with him before. And one day he sat down with, he says, you know, I really like working with you. I was like, well, why is that Steve? He said, because unlike all the co other coaches and consultants I've had, you don't only ask me questions. You actually are willing to put yourself out there and share your perspective with me. And, and even, and you're open to being wrong. And he goes, I value that 10 times more than all the questions. I can ask myself these questions, but I often need other people's perspectives like yours to get my brain working and to give me something that I can either accept or reject. And, and, and so that's just, uh, so that's part of the methodology. There's a, there's a mindset, which you're talking about. Like you have to be, you definitely have to have some courage. You definitely have to be willing to be candid, but you have to do it in a very collaborative way where you're very open to what they're going to say back and you're, and you're open to changing your mind. That was a very long-winded answer. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize because there's so much really to unpack there. Yeah. One of the key things you just brought up that this um, executive told you, I think is an important thing for people who are coaches because I think a lot of coach training instructs them to ask the questions and not offer up <coughs> suggestions or ideas, but to get the client to come up with them. And... Uh -huh. And, but the truth is they appreciate that input because they, they, it's often fresh for them, for one thing, but the fact that you're also open to, de debating is not the right word, but- Discuss and debate, sure. Yes, discuss 
the pros and cons of what you're suggesting compared to what maybe they've been in the habit of doing or thinking, there's a healthy exchange there. And I think that that's what really drives you and what you're so passionate about is trying to help people have these healthy, uh, open um, conversations. And it, it ties in with something else that I wanted to explore with you because you have talked to so many different CEOs over the years. What areas do you see them struggling with that you kind of identify as you're listening to them and asking yeah. them questions yeah. that are related to issues around communication. <laughs> this, you know, the thing is, it's the same thing as we struggled with in, in our conversations with them. This, this is the thing I, um, so I, I have really specialized for the last 25 years is in improving the, the quality of the conversations that uh, leaders and people and salespeople are able to have about the real issues. Right. And, um, and all these 25,000 and counting people that I've developed, um, they have documented for me conversations that didn't produce the results they want. They've transcribed them for me. And they all make um, a series of errors um, um, that prevent them from getting better results in the conversations that they're unaware that they're making. Um, in some cases, which they actually think are good practice, even though they're not. So I want to come back to your questioning point. And the reason they're doing it is the same in every single company, country, and culture. So let, let, let's just, so let's use one of the big ones that you actually just highlighted around asking questions. Now, asking questions is not a problem in and of itself. In fact, you could see even from my example with this uh, CHRO at a consumer goods company from yesterday that I, that I asked a ton of questions before I expressed my perspective. But what I didn't do is use the question as a substitute for expressing my point of view. I didn't play some game with them. I already, I already, just, I know what the right answer is. Let me ask you a bunch of questions so you could actually come to the answer. I've already decided for you so you could have the illusion of discovering it for yourself, but I'm going to have to cover up the fact that actually I have a point of view. So all of this is incredibly inauthentic, you know, and you know, it ain't the fifties anymore where I can use your name four times Meredith. And then by doing that, I'm going to sway you to think and do what I want. You know what I mean? And so, but the thing is that a lot of these um, consultants and coaches have learned from different qu quarters, like the grow models, is, or, you know, people have been trained in it. Um, um, you know, coaching training from like International Center for Conflict Resolution, which um, ICF, I forget what it's called, International Coaching Federation, which is popular around the world. So we need people to ask more questions. But I could ask you, if you're an executive, how many questions can I ask you before you start getting irritated? Seriously, let me just ask you that question. What do you think the number is? What do you feel the number is? I'd say probably three. Yeah, it's, I usually hear three. That's kind of the number, two or three. I don't know why everybody says three, but that's, that's the number I hear across the world. I heard what somebody recently in Germany said, zero. Like, you're a patient person. Fine. So you get three. So the point of asking good questions is so that you could give them something back. 
And it's not always like a suggestion. See, people make this mistake like you're giving them suggestions. Sometimes you're just telling them what you think the real problem is. Forget about a suggestion. Who cares about suggestions? If they don't agree a real, there's a real problem, they're not even interested in a solution. So, so a lot of it is um, they tend to make the same mistake too. Like they want their people to discover things for themselves. So they ask them a bunch of questions they don't have to tell them. I mean, I just worked, I was last year working at a big pharma company and the chief complaint of the district sales managers, of the sales reps who were out in the field, you know, trying to sell their particular therapy to the doctors is, my people don't challenge the thinking of the physicians enough. And then I looked at the case studies of these managers uh, and, uh, where they documented how they tried to have the conversation about that with their salespeople and they weren't challenging their salespeople on not challenging the doctors. They asked them a bunch of questions so they could figure it out for themselves because somehow they got in their heads, if I tell people what I think, they're brittle, they're frail, they're gonna crumble, they're gonna become too dependent on my mind and now become some micromanaging directive manager, which, which couldn't be further from the truth. So one of the errors that people make is the use of leading questions, right? I really got a point of view, but I'm asking you a bunch of questions so you can so have the delusion that you've come to the conclusion yourself. People feel manipulated and steered by these things. And they have a negative effect on the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the fear and paranoia center of the brain. The other error that people make is jumping to solutions or jumping to action. So where they make a suggestion to a client about what they ought to do differently or something they should try before they have an agreement with their client about the, what the real problem is that that suggestion is a solution to. And I'll ask you, if I offer you a solution, but you don't agree it solves a problem for you, what are you gonna do with that solution? Nothing. Probably nothing, or maybe you'll, you know, or optimistically, maybe you'll consider it a bit. So if I look at all the data from the 25,000 case studies that I've worked, where again, people have transcribed what they actually said and what the other person actually said, um, there's like, there's like a list of top 10 errors they make, but the two big ones are leading questions and jumping to action. And then of course they do all kinds of things like easing in, like, you know, that's a really wonderful turtleneck you're wearing, Meredith, and I love the way those glasses go with your da 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 but I gotta talk to you about your performance. So there's this like easing in phenomenon, or I will water down what I really think. Instead of saying, I think there's a problem, I'll say there's an opportunity. So I'll use these kind of, corporate BS words, which we've all learned. And then all of these things are true, at the end of the day, really not authentic. And because then you're not being authentic, then you're not, you're, you're squandering an opportunity to build a deeper relationship, have a deeper conversation and build true trust. So those are some examples of errors that people make. Mm -hmm. And they all, we all do it for the same reason. Because at the end of the day, and this is the research coming out of my favorite organizational psychologist from Harvard, a guy named Chris Argeris, who like wrote, I don't know, 40 books, 140 articles, received 14 honorary doctorates in the field. It's because we may all espouse, we gotta be candid, we gotta be courageous, we gotta be collaborative. But our programming drives us to try to keep things comfortable, 
to try to compete in these conversations so we can win our point, to try to maintain control, and to throw in all kinds of corporate polite stuff. And people across the world have this unconscious program in them, whether you're a client or you're the consultant or coach to the client, and it causes to make a series of errors in conversations that um, you know, we're blind to. Those are some great points. Thank you. When you think about the consultant in the role of a sales conversation with a potential client, uh-huh. um, and do you see there's a, sometimes it seems like there's a concern about how am I coming across? So a preoccupation with themselves that can interfere with their ability to really connect with that person. Do you see that with salespeople you do training for and how do you help address and get them to that? Yeah. So you're asking me not just from like consultants like us who are talking to potential clients or current clients, but also salespeople that I'm developing and challenges they have. Sure. Because I think there's some universal aspects across any kind of situation where you're in a sales conversation with a prospective client and what is it they can do to get the focus off of themselves and how they're coming across so they can more readily identify the problem, the real problem the person is dealing with. (coughs) Let's see. So maybe an example would be useful here. So uh, working with uh, cardiovascular reps in pharma. And this would be, this is an example that'll be illustrative of a struggle that a lot of people have. Um, And so this sales rep uh, has a particular customer that he's been working with for years. Um, He's got good market share, you know, in terms of their particular uh, product. But the doctor will still using for a large portion of his patients, um, what we would consider now kind of an outdated product. And this particular sales rep never asked him why, uh, despite wondering why. Now, and so I remember, you know, um, talking to him about that. So, so this seems to be a totally legitimate question. How come you never asked him? He's like, well, I don't want to screw up the good market share I have. And so you can see there's a, there's a, there's a fear and anxiety there that's holding him back. Then ask the question, well, why do you think by asking a question you would somehow, he would get, I guess you think what, he would get pissed off at you and then stop prescribing a drug, your drug that's actually really working well for his clients just to spite you because you asked an uncomfortable question? He's like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. You know, but, but people, but, but again, we're so risk averse, right, by, by nature. Um, and it also might, it could be true that people who, who work inside these big corporations, I, I don't have the, the research to back this up, might be more risk averse in, in general. I, I don't know. But you can imagine, it's like, I don't want to screw up my market share. And, and then if that happens, like, okay, maybe I don't get my bonus. Uh, or maybe I, this year, and I depend upon it. My manager now will get on my back because this doctor is a key opinion leader in this particular city. So if he stops, starts using less of your drug, then that might have a domino effect on other people. So you feel like super responsible for not screwing up for other people. So then what do you do? Well, if you're in that bind, 
Maybe you just kind of like deliver the marketing message every single time because that's the safe play, right? Your management wants you to deliver a marketing message, so you do it as opposed to having the authentic conversation with the person. Um, so your question was, how, do, how, did, how did I help them overcome the kind of emotional obstacle to having the real conversation? Well, first of all, starting to dispute his reasons for not having it. Like his, like the logic, the story he was telling didn't seem logical to me, but he needed somebody to tell him that because he was just kind of stuck in his own head. And then to talk about how important it was to be able to have that conversation. I'm like, well, if, if this, if he's now depriving his patients of a better drug and he doesn't realize he's doing that, or he has some misconception about the new drug versus the old drug, and you can't, you don't really realize that he has that misconception and you can't help him clear that up, then he's not being the best doctor he can be for his patients. And you're not being the best salesperson for this doctor who I know is dedicated to really serving him. But again, but what do you think about that? Right. I'm not imposing my view. I'm making, it's like, you know, I could totally see that. So, and then I said, you know, sometimes it's a matter of figuring out how to say it, you know, in a way that you feel won't create all kinds of problems. But also a lot of times it's when you help people get off, get, off of whatever their hangups are, the way the point uh, of view is naturally occurring to them in our minds is perfect. They can just say it the way they think it and they don't have to dress it up or bend themselves into a pretzel to risk any possibility that it might offend somebody. So, and, but then we role play the heck out of it, right? To make sure like it feels authentic, but it's also gonna work. And so like we, we, we did a couple iterations and he just said, Again, he's worried about how he's going to come across. It's like, he said, listen, we've had a great relationship for years. And um, I realize there's a conversation I've been scared to have with you, but I feel like I need to have it to, to serve you in the way I want to. And, and, and it's just, I know you love our product, but I know you're using this other product that a lot of other physicians have moved away from and I've been racking my head to figure out why, would you mind just saying, sharing a little bit with me as to why? And like, who's really gonna get offended by that? You know, and it opened up a whole new conversation and the guy, uh, it turned out the doctor thought that with a certain subset of patients, the new drug wouldn't work because he thought it would have some secondary side effects and he just misunderstood the science. But if, if, if the rep had not been authentic and open with what he or she was thinking in that moment, then the doctor wouldn't have been as open and authentic with them. I mean, if you want to get it, you've got to give it. You've got to give it to get it, right? And sometimes you've got to be the one who goes first. And, and then the rep was able to clear up that misconception. And I think they, and then the doctor started moving patients, not everyone, but a good chunk of those old drug patients to the, to the newer drug. And I think he gained something within, I think it was three months, something like 30% market share. So I think he went from a, a 40 or 50 share to something like 70 or 80%. That's great, great example. And the way that I see it tying in with our listeners here goes back to that original three-step process 
that you were talking about yeah. where you can either be, you know, posing a question or you can share an opinion, an observation, give your reasoning and then open it back up to them. Basically, what do you think? And I think that whole process of humility and really being open about genuinely curious about where they're coming from with their thinking, as opposed to challenging it, um, because people can sense that difference. And what I hear you right. talking about, tying back into your words, kind, gracious, when you go in with that attitude, I think people <clears throat> can sense that. And it doesn't feel combative. They're, they tend to, I would think, relax, lower their guard because they don't feel like you're trying to push an attack and control the conversation. Am I reading that right in terms of what you're oh, recommending as an approach? No, I think you're really articulate about it. Actually, no, that's, uh, I think that's really wonderfully said. It's like courage is still a big part of this, right? You, sure. You got to be, you have to be kind of brave to kind of go there. Uh, but fashion favors the brave. Uh, no, what fortune favors the brave. Mm -hmm. Fashion, I'm not sure I said fashion. Fortune <laughs> favors the brave is some old saying. But, yeah. it's, but it's also, I like what you said, curious. It's kind of a, a, a courageous humility, you know, a courageous curiosity that, that, that people have. And if you could hold on to both of those things, then I think you'll find that it won't always work, but it'll work like eight or nine times out of 10 in terms of people not being offended, but instead getting their guard down. Right. And being willing to have a more open conversation with you, which is at the end of the day, what we all want, I think. Well, I think it also requires the person in the sales role to set aside ego and not take personally whatever the person, however the person responds and just see it as information. And I think that's where mm. we can get into trouble is we get our emotions tied in with it. We get our sense of being okay tied in with the response we get and it, it can prevent us from being able to be that genuine, open, honest person because now we're kind of in a defense mode and not able to hear. Um, so that whole exchange of that open and honesty, you know, is on both sides. No, I, I think so. I mean, how could we ask our clients to be confrontable if we're not, you know, but but it's demanding on us, right? Like emotionally and, and, and psychologically. So yeah. like once you kind of take this on of like, okay, I'm really gonna, I owe it to my clients to be very open and honest with them. It's going to force a lot of development, you know? So when I first did started this work, you know, I really try to focus on just being a lot more honest with how I, felt about things um, and I worked in my ability to like make a good argument, you know, but, and maybe this was just my immaturity at the time. So I got good at that and I got good at getting people's attention, but I often kind of did it from a place of I'm right. You're wrong. You know what I mean? And Bing. Proving yourself, proving your right, proving myself, proving I was right, all that kind of stuff, and and it, that certainly worked better uh, than avoiding 
the topics, right? Because at least you're in the game and then you could have the discussion and debate. But also it could sometimes work spectacularly badly, you know? And, and I think part of my development was about still being a lot more kind of candid, but to do it in a very like collaborative, curious way. Like, here's what I think, here's why, but you know, tell me what you think. And, and actually really caring and, 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 being, and, and being committed to the best thinking win, winning, not my or their idea. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and, and being more a servant of the truth of things than, well, I don't know what, I don't know what the opposite of that is, but trying to look good, be right, all of that. Yeah. Um, and, but what you find is when you open yourself up to life in that way, you learn a lot and you grow a lot because life has a way of teaching you as, as long as you really expose yourself to it. Um, but also what I teach my clients is a way to do it so they can stay alive to talk about it. Right. Because I am pushing them to be a lot more open and honest about things that they normally suppress, avoid or water down. Right. And of course the risk factor goes up but not as much as they think. Um, and if you could give them like this three-step process and other things I teach them, then they start to have successes around it. Um, and that gives them a lot of confidence. And it starts to help them realize that like a lot of their fears about how their insights are going to be received are actually just stories. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and they start having a much more a positive view on life or at least organizational life. Like I was just talking to the guy at a client today um, who wants to recommend me to a bunch of other client organizations in his network. And he's like, yeah, I even use this stuff at home right now. I mean, it's like, you know, much more transparent about like what my agenda is much more open, much more authentic. And it's like, for me, this is something now I try to do all the time, not just kind of at work. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to conclude this because Todd, what you're really talking about are life skills that can be applied with anyone, not necessarily in a sales situation, not necessarily at work, but with friends and family. So we could keep going on, I know, but in the interest of time, what I'm going to do is kind of draw this to a conclusion. You have so much wisdom <clears throat> and experience um, I'd love for you to share how our listeners can learn more about you and your work. Where can they connect with you and find you online? Um, well, first of all, my email is probably a good start. Um, so they can email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at Holzman.com. So that would be H-O-L-Z-M-A-N.com. So an easy to remember email, just Todd at Holzman.com. Um, they can also check out my website, um, holzman.com and, you know, and definitely feel free to link in with me. And, uh, if there, anybody wants to talk to me, um, just send me a little email and I'll have somebody from my team reach out to them and we can set up a, you know, a chat. That's great. Thank you, Todd. I so appreciate all the wisdom and experience you shared today with me and my listeners. Thank you. Uh, really my pleasure. I love any opportunity I get to talk about this stuff. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com 
to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.